Emlyn's genius was to draw the most out of players, so they achieved way beyond their own and everyone else's dreams. He knew which boys, like Johnny and Monster, to slap down, and which, like Zav and Rocky, to build up. He was an expert at pinpointing a player's weakness and finding a solution, adapting, teaching to the individual. Rugby, above all, taught boys teamwork <laughs> and to keep their temper. As a result, flare-ups and loutish behaviour within the school <laughs> dramatically decreased. That's an excerpt from Wicked by Jilly Cooper, as read by Lucy Crimble. As usual, people from all over the world were milling around, taking the sights of central London. There were a lot of Japanese tourists in particular, a lot of whom were fascinated by Bob. <laughs> I'd soon learned another new word for cat. <laughs> Nico. <laughs> Everything was fine until around six in the evening when the crowds really thickened with the beginning of the rush hour. It was at that point that a promotions guy from Ripley's came out on the street. He was wearing a big inflatable outfit that made him look three times his normal size and was making big arm gestures encouraging people to visit Ripley's. I had no idea how it related to the exhibits inside the building. Maybe they had something on the world's fastest man or on the world's most ridiculous job. That was an excerpt from a street cat named Bob. How one man and his cat found hope on the streets. <laughs> Which is a real classic, by the way. <laughs> a street cat named Bob. Well, welcome back to the Zeitcast, everybody. <laughs> My guest today is my now dear friend, <laughs> Lucy Grimble. Uh, Lucy is a singer, songwriter, worship leader from London, and we've been having an amazing time in Northern Ireland the last few days, staying in this enchanted space. Yeah. And um, obviously having a lot of fun. Yes. Where the other night, we stumbled into this amazing game. And I guess we should give a shout out to Amanda. We Technically, she gets credit for this, doesn't Amanda she? Amanda gets full credit. Yeah, Amanda Cook, who was on the podcast a few days ago, uh, when we got back the other night, after a very fun evening, um, introduced this game where we came into the library here at the uh, bed and breakfast, beautiful old house where we're staying, where you just start pulling books off the shelves at random, yeah. reading excerpts from the book without context. No context. And there... That's really all there is to it. That It's a great party game. I think, you know, it's a great icebreaker. Play it with your friends, play it with your family, and just let the let the good times roll. Yes, yes. I mean, they were like, I, basically, I don't want to do anything else. I mean, like, in life. I mean, like, in, like this is, this is found, all I want to do. You found your calling. It's all I want to do. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I mean, how I wouldn't have even known a street cat named Bob. <laughs> How one man and his cat found hope on the streets existed, if not for the grace of this. It's true, and I would game. never have before touched a Jelly Cooper novel if it mm. weren't for playing this game. So I'm she, grateful. She's a whole phenomenon. Is is like is that a thing in the UK? She's she's a bit of a national treasure. Okay. Um, I mean, she writes what I would call airport literature. I mean, okay. this this book is eight hundred and forty six pages long. Mm. 
And that's probably one of 50 novels that she's written. That's so she's, amazing. She's prolific. Wow. And she gives a sort of unique insight into sort of the higher class English culture. So yes. I feel like there's a lot to learn from Jilly Cooper. Yes, yes. Wow. That, it, it, as in an incarnational way, there's a lot to learn in, in all things. That's right. That's <laughs> this kind of sacramental people <laughs> that we are. So it, it, I, I, I just feel like it's it's wonderful. So like um, Lucy's very thoughtful and soulish and has wonderful music. And it's been so wonderful to partner together and do all this. And like all the things we could talk about. And I'm like, hey, Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play the book game. Let's just play the book game. <laughs> <laughs> for like five hours. <laughs> like, I want this to be like a four-part episode. Like, I just don't even want this to end. It's like this because I think it's so great. So, um, uh, by the way, I want you all to know this about Lucy. So we were doing, uh, because I just think it's so wonderful. Like, I've already, I just instantly became a, a fan of her music. And I, I do want to talk about that. Though we'll do it in context of the we books, will. of course. But it was especially wonderful, like on Sunday, to give you a sense of the kind of person she is. We both were doing a lot of things at um, the festival Open Skies this weekend. We're about, we're going um, on Thursday to do Open Skies in, um, well, we're flying to Amsterdam to do Open Skies, Netherlands, I guess it's called. Yes. So anyway, um, but it was very full on. And on Sunday in particular, like I was teaching all day and nonstop. And so on two different occasions, like I always thought, I'm just going to lose my voice entirely, but never kind of break away because it was back to back to back. And Lucy rescued me with hot tea. So I'll forever be <laughs> grateful for that save. Um, I never knew that was a spiritual gifting. It but is a spiritual I've, gift. I've got it. So it's in there. Yeah. It is in there. That is in. The, that's right. It, all the other stuff in Corinthians. It is in there. <laughs> so Lucy, I do want us to talk about other things, but we have laid a certain groundwork here that I feel like should be honored. You know, right? The the game. The game must be honored. So are you saying it's time for the second? Round? I think it's time because okay. yeah, the first one was just more of an introduction. You know, we just kind of read, but sure. from here, we're um, the idea is we're going to read from here, and whatever sort of reflections we have, conversation we have, is going to be somehow, yeah, somehow oriented around these readings. So um, I read last, so I guess the next one, Lucy, is up to you. Right. Well, um, I'm going to go for another sort of British power couple. They're called Richard and Judy. They mm. were TV hosts um, for decades. And I'm going to read an excerpt from their autobiography. Beautiful. I wish I people like could see the cover of this book. <laughs> There's a, it adds a sense of gravitas. It does. Yeah, it does they have very smiling eyes. Yes, smiling eyes indeed. <laughs> On programmes such as this morning, you are subjected to some pretty daft ideas for the show. <laughs> One of these, thank God, never got as far as the air in Liverpool. One of the team wanted us to do a phone-in on miracles. The producer liked the idea and suggested we should go along with it. Why, we said, why do you want to do a phone-in on miracles? Well, she replied, I'm basing it on a magazine that's just been launched. They obviously want publicity and can supply us with people who can work Miracles. Hmm. Wow. I actually didn't expect that to be. I did as not spiritual. expect this to go there. Wow. Once again, that's Richard and Judy, the autobiography. Lucy, have you ever experienced a miracle? Wow. Yes, I have. Hmm. On many levels. So I was I had meningitis when I was seven years old, which is a very nasty disease, which basically kills you. Um, well, it very easily kills you. Um, 
I was in a coma for three days. And um, my dad basically had a dream. Um, he left the hospital one night thinking I might never see my daughter again. Mm. And that night he had a dream where he saw like a tide um, on a shore retreating. And he just basically felt like it represented like the spirit of death over me. Mm. And he felt the Lord tell him to get up and rebuke the spirit of death over me. And um, basically that was a turning point in my recovery. Like the next day I came out of the coma, apparently, but apparently it was almost like a miraculous coming out of the coma. Like I just sat up and was like, I'm hungry. Or, you know, and the doctors were like, what, where has this come from? So yes, I have personally experienced a miracle. And also a lot of um, kids who have meningitis, their hearing is really badly affected mm -hmm. or there's sort of long-term issues because it attacks your brain basically and um I have perfect hearing and I just wow. was absolutely fine so many family members came thinking the worst and they were like we cannot believe she's up running around the ward um so yeah I have I have experienced miracles that's amazing for sure. yeah how old were you when that happened I was seven wow seven years old yeah but not to like dive deep but no, I had this, this I had this thought the other day that <clears throat> I think there's like a and this is sort of an unrehearsed thought that I'm gonna now make public on your podcast, so maybe a bit dangerous, but you can maybe jump in with nope, some wisdom. This is the right place for that. Um But I think that we discount a lot of very daily miracles mm. um and daily supernatural occurrences. I think we're often looking for the kind of God wipe the mountains off the face of the earth kind of miracles. Mm -hmm. Like we're looking for those massive dramatic um, you know, signs and wonders kind of miracles. But I think it's as much a miracle to have the grace or strength to walk with with a limp, like an emotional limp mm. or a, a spiritual limp or something. Or, you know, it's as much a miracle to forgive someone when yeah. you're so justified in not forgiving them, justified mm. in inverted commas. So, yeah, I actually think that I'm just, it was just a thought I had the other day that I don't mm -hmm. want to lose sight of those miracles. Mm -hmm. You know, the actual miracle of walking by faith, the miracle mm -hmm. of continuing to choose God when a lot of life sort of transpires against you to not choose God. Yes. Um, so on that level, I think I experience a lot of daily miracles yeah. and a lot of supernatural things where I'm like, it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in me that has allowed me to do this or yes. enabled me to give me the power to walk the Christian life. You know? Yes. Oh, no, I, I think I feel like that's so true that just, you know, um, there's just so much of our lives that require grace that is yeah. beyond ourselves. But totally. precisely because it's so common, because it comes in expressions in which we're used to it, where it feels familiar, yeah. we don't recognize it as such, but that are utterly miraculous. I mean, Completely. we had this uh, amazing walk this morning. I mean, you know, yeah. that was the, the things that we saw and experienced. I mean, the, you know, the yeah. wonder of that. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like we're... It's almost like we're swimming in miracles. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. And I think it's like asking God to just open your eyes to those daily occurrences and mm. not overlooking them and not um, thinking that they're less than the really big ticket miracles. Yeah. You know, he's in everything. So I do think it's interesting, though, for you to have an experience like that when you were seven mm. in terms of just I've got to think that sort of sets the stage in a particular way and just in terms of like, I don't know, just your, just your kind of a framework and openness to seeing God, experiencing God in that way. I mean, that's yeah. pretty profound. Yeah. I mean, um, scary and profound thing to experience at seven. Yeah. 
Do you? I mean, sure. do you remember that vividly? I mean, I don't remember it as much. It's more. It's more my hearing it from my parents' point sure. of view. And you know, my mum's a GP, and I'd say she's a pretty skeptical. She's pretty skeptical of a lot of faith miracles. Not that she doesn't believe God mm. does it, but she's always like, "I want to see the medical evidence that it actually happened," yeah. rather than just sort of someone saying, "I had a." back pain and then it's gone like she she's always like show me the evidence show me the proof and I think my mom would easily say like you know that was that God saved my life you Mm. know that my dad would say the same so I think it's hearing it from their perspective that I'm like wow I'm so I'm I'm grateful like Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for that Mm um yeah that's beautiful and I feel like on that note Barbara Taylor Bradford's Classic, Emma's Secret, A Woman of Substance, The Missing Years. Wow. That Jonathan had unexpectedly returned and had been seen with Sarah was really upsetting. They had always plotted together. Ever since their childhood, their sudden presence in London did not bode well for her, she was sure. Taking Uncle Ronnie's advice, she had hired a private detective to investigate him, but the man had turned up nothing. Seemingly, her cousin led a blameless life, and Sarah only visited London occasionally. I wish Jack Figg were around, Paula suddenly thought remembering how talented and fearless the former head of security for the stores had been. But Jack had retired, more or less, and was enjoying his new home in Cornwall, where he sailed, fished, and in general led a happy life by the seashore. She sighed to herself and went and sat down on the window seat, picked up their newspaper, the Yorkshire Morning Gazette, and casually leafed through the pages. See, what I'm going to say about your reading, Jonathan, is you have, I was saying to Jonathan the other night that he is almost like the character from a Tennessee Williams play. He just has this gravitas to his voice. So even though he has effectively read a very boring informational paragraph, <laughs> I am transfixed. I, am, I would listen to you read anything. The Yellow Pages, I'd, I'd listen to you read a menu. You've just got this incredible voice. <laughs> well, thank you for that. That makes me actually want to like... I actually think, just based on even the library here, there are an awful lot of Barbara Taylor Bradford books. Right. So that could be like a side gig, right. you know, because my life is, her, in fact, cobbling together odd jobs. So this could be <laughs> this could be an actual thing. This really could be a thing. Barbara, if you're listening, you know, Jonathan's here. He's willing. Barbara, so I am out here. And she she could be listening to Zycast for she all that could, we know. She could be. I feel a twinge of disappointment now because it's like I thought – there was that moment after the, the first reading, it was like, oh, man, like, the Holy Ghost is just taking over. Who knew, like, with miracles? And it's like, oh, like, then we got... Things about Cornwall. Yes, I don't even... Did you even retain anything from that from that Something passage? about fishing. Fishing? Yeah. Have you ever been fishing? Um, Do you like fishing? I, I haven't been fishing. I've been crabbing. Okay. Um, actually, in Cornwall. So... Okay. There's a link. All right. Holy Spirit. What was that back like? in the room. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. Don't leave. Um, <laughs> crabbing was very fun. Mm. Um, an old lady told me how to pick up the crab without getting nipped because they're pretty big. Like you catch pretty big crabs. 
You have to pick them up from above around their back so that they can't, because they can't reach their claws back. Okay. So. I've not been crabbing, so this is all new to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, now you know how yeah. to avoid getting nipped by a crab. Were there like life lessons in this? Like sort of, were there metaphors or? Um, yeah, I think there was some overcoming fear because mm. I definitely didn't want to pick up a crab because, you know, they run pretty fast mm. and they had big, what do you call those things? What do you, what do you, <laughs> <laughs> what do you call those things? Claws? I wish people could see the hand gestures. I guess they're claws. What do you, what, when you go to a restaurant and get lobster uh, things and dip it in butter, what's that? I mean, lobster tail, hands? lobster. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not lobster I'll have hands. Lobster hands. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I think they're claws. <laughs> so, yeah, that would be my last lesson. <laughs> I just feel a leading in my spirit, Lucy, that it's time for the next reading. <laughs> to take us out of this pit. Do you want serious or whatever you're feeling? You, okay. This is all. This is all, all right. you. Okay. Um, well, I mean, we're in a sort of livestock yes. territory, so I'm going to go with chickens in your backyard: a beginner's guide mm. by Rick and Gail Lutman. Mm. Oh, the Lutmans. Okay. Classic. Some... Sometimes a banty hen will fly over the fence to lay her eggs in the bushes or weeds and then fly back into the coop area. We found piles of eggs in places where we hadn't even known chickens had been. A hen will occasionally disappear altogether and just about the time we think we've lost her, she'll come strutting back with a brood of little chicks following behind. Wow. Wow. Why don't you read one more paragraph, Lucy? <laughs> I feel like I need a little more color, a little more context. Okay, on the chickens. okay. More of a deep dive into the world. Yeah, go, go, even a little further. Egg size depends on the breed of your hens. Mm. Large breeds lay bigger eggs than bantams, and some large breeds lay bigger eggs than others. A pullet's eggs will be smaller than a hen's, and small eggs are sometimes laid during. <laughs> Some hot spells. I don't know if this is going to give you more. <laughs> Shall I keep going? I think you should. <laughs> Some people like to candle their eggs in order to detect blood... Oh, this is gross. <laughs> blood spots or cracked shells. The blood spots <laughs> come from minor hemorrhages that occur along the hens of a... <laughs> of a duct. I don't know what that is. Candling is important if the eggs are to be sold, although the spots are quite common and harmless. Mm. Lucy. Yes. How do you feel about chickens? <laughs> <laughs> I now that I know a hen has an oviduct, yeah. it sort of make sort of put me off eggs a bit. I know. It humanizes them, doesn't it? It does. Mm -hmm. Is this a turning point right here on the show in terms of like are you going vegan, like right in this moment, oh, I'm just never from going reading? Vegan. No, yeah. Who's who's got time for that? I can't do it. No, I can't do it's it. It's a lot of thought. I mean, I can. I still don't know what. You know, when people say they're gluten free. Yes. I still don't know what gluten is in. Yeah. Like it's so confusing to me because right. I, I just love carbs. Like yes, my yes. ideal meal is like mainly carbs on my plate. Well, you so know, so I'm like, which carbs aren't I allowed to eat? Our Lord Himself mm. called Himself the bread of life. So what does it's that true. tell you about the importance of carbs in this way? 
that they're essential. Yeah, I think they're, they're essential. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I feel bad about this because I'm, I'm, I get it in terms of like ethical eating, all those kinds of things, but also feel like there's something to be said for not thinking about what you eat. You know, especially like sometimes I just want like a hot dog and I just, I just don't want to, I just don't want to think hard about it. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely subscribe more to the sort of that vision. Is it Paul, the vision with the blanket? Anything? Oh, uh, yeah. Peter. Yes. Peter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Definitely subscribe more to that thinking like yes there's a banquet and we can eat mm-hmm. eat freely from it yes um what yeah god I try not has to think called too much. clean let no man call unclean exactly yeah mm-hmm. exactly we, I'm, we've I'm, got I'm bible for this <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i try not to think about it too much for any vegans who've been giving on patreon please continue your support <laughs> we also, love and believe in you guys for the for the for the po- podcast listeners johnny has eaten Pretty much a full English breakfast every day. Here. I have. So he's definitely not been living that vegan life. No, I have not. You know how many and, and you know how many people like on uh, social media have been like, "Did you really eat the black pudding?" Oh yeah. I, I kind of do. Like, do you eat the black pudding? I, I don't just because okay. again, it's too anatomical for me. Like oh, when right. I yeah. know what's in it, I'm like, yes. mm, no thanks. Yes. But I know it's, people say it's delicious. It, it was pretty tasty. I was trying not to think about it. Yeah. I'm like, that was certain like oysters as well. Okay. I'm like, I get that it's really cool and yeah. like you look really classy when you're eating an oyster. Yes, yes. But it does just feel like sea snot to me. Yeah. I'm like, it's yeah. just. No, no, I, I, I actually don't through, do oysters. That, that, that. There is a texture thing there. Yeah. There's a texture thing there. For sure. For sure. Um, which brings me to <laughs> Derek Nimmo's. Oh, come. Oh, I don't think I realized that was the title. <laughs> You're right. The title in of itself is, the, is a double entendre. <laughs> I don't think I realized that. Am I allowed to say this on the air? Um, I did just <laughs> pull this off the shelf. <laughs> I really did not, did not read that was the title before. We'll just say this is a book from Derek Nimmo. <laughs> And I'll just read the excerpt. The laity also likes services and sermons that they can follow without difficulty. A vicar who had been told by his church wardens that there had been complaints about his sermons made a special effort the following week and delivered one that was well received by everyone. In the vestry afterwards, the wardens wardens congratulate him warmly. The one of them asked, pardon me, vicar. But after you said the dedication of the start of the sermon and before you gave the ascription at the end, you made the most unusual movements with your hands over your head. Was that deliberate? It certainly was, said the vicar. Those were the quotation marks. That's the end of that paragraph. Do you ever make strange gestures over your head when you preach? I make a lot of strange (laughs) gestures when I'm preaching, I think. Okay. Because I talk with my hands so much. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that that aids the um, aids the delivery? I don't know. I'm concerned because I feel like you know. Um, I used to try to like rein this in in some way, but I feel like I'm a big person. I mean, I'm six five, and I've, I've kind of resigned myself at this point to like I'm kind of a big personality. And if I am who I am, then it comes out that way. You know, it's like I'm sort of like I'm afraid that it almost is like manic and might be a hindrance the other direction. Did you by chance, I don't know if you would have seen this, but it made me laugh so hard. I think it was Al Circle, um, our friend Jason Upton's drummer, captured a hilarious little uh, clip on Instagram story the other day that Sunday morning, you know, like I'm just kind of 
preaching my heart out. And somehow he saw uh, an older lady, like on the fourth row, head back, like just like snoring in the middle of the sermon. It was pretty amazing. Out cold. Yeah, out cold. You knocked her out. Yes, like like midway through the sermon. Yeah, it's always off-putting. I find that that with doing any kind of platform ministry, you just have to ignore the expressions on the face. Yes. I think especially in certain cultures. So in British culture, we're much less... We're much more reserved. Right, We're right. much less emotional. Yeah. Um, we're much less like, that's a good word. Like we're, yeah. you know, heckling the preacher, giving encouragement. Yes. So sometimes I'm leading worship and people's faces, they literally look like they're sad. Wow. Or incredibly bored. Yeah. But then at the end, they'll come up and say, oh my gosh, I was so moved. Mm. Like, you know, God was really speaking to me, mm-hmm. all this stuff. So I've just, I think I've just learned not to judge. Mm-hmm. From the piece, Are you the able spaces. to do that, to kind of like not kind it, of go somewhere to not be rattled in that way? Yeah, I think you just learn it over time. I think it's it's an experience thing. I think in when I first started leading worship, it would definitely put me off. And, yeah. I, you know, there's a, there's a sense of like judging how well you're doing by sure. the reaction. Sure. Which I'm definitely like, I think that's just been a, a inner work in me to like mm-hmm. move away from that and just be like, actually this is what I'm bringing and it's sort of not that people's reaction doesn't matter because obviously I'm there to serve I'm there to like build unity in the room I'm I'm there to connect with the people in some Mm -hmm. way but I can't take the responsibility for everybody's personal experience in the room on Mm. my shoulders because it's just too much to bear yeah so I've just got to I I guess I've just got to do me on, on stage and try and be as authentic as possible yes um and that is an inner work. That's a work that's done off stage, right? Um, in terms of building confidence and building your relationship with God, and mm-hmm. you know, knowing who you are and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So, I'm still working on it, but oh, sure. I feel like I've made a lot of progress from the yeah. early days. Uh, me too. I mean, because I feel like I went. It shifted a lot for me. Because well, something that never changes is I'm always very aware, yeah. kind of energetically of whatever happens in the room. I can't help yeah. that. Like every yeah, room yeah. is different, and I feel like I'm almost when I'm speaking, hyper-aware. I mean, right. hyper-aware. Right. I go into this, it's weird, of like this sort of, like I feel more than I want to feel, feel like I right. see more than I want to see in some ways. Yeah. So I'm kind of dialed into it. But I do feel like I've shifted a lot of in terms of not kind of being quite as enslaved to it. Like I feel yeah, like now exactly. I'm much more able to like, I feel much more grounded. Yeah. I'm able to kind of get to a place in here yeah. um, that where, you know, I know, know who I am. And I feel yeah. like I'm... I mean, this is a basketball analogy, but I often say, like, I try to run the half-court offense wherever I go. Whereas before, I would have been much more thrown by that. Because we actually talked right. about this the other morning, like, yeah. the way that, um, you know, especially when you do what you do in very different context, mm-hmm. if you're if you're too aware of that or too thrown by it, you know, that yeah. can be, like, almost violent yeah, to yeah. kind of... Yeah, and I think, like, a lot of things come at you all at once. And I think as you do it more, you learn how to just prioritize the ones that you need to pay attention to. Because, yeah. you, again, you can't pay attention to every piece of information that comes at you as you're also trying to do right. your job. So I think you you just sort of, yeah, you just learn which ones to filter out, which yes. ones to be like, actually, I should I should be aware of that. Like, yes. that's actually quite important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's just, I think it's just an experience thing and being exposed, like you're saying, to different contexts. And, sure. Um, being, like, open-minded enough but I guess, like, having some parameters in your mind that mm-hmm. allow you to kind of be like, no, 
these are the priorities. Right. Don't know if that makes sense. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And as we're talking about discerning in this way, my discernment at this sure. point is it feels like it's time for another reading. So I'm going to take a risk with Kafka. Mm. Wedding preparations in the country and other mm. stories. This could be heavy, guys, yeah. so buckle up. I'm ready. Okay. This is from a story called The Judgment, which is obviously sparks a lot of thoughts. At last, he put the letter in his pocket and went out of his room across a small lobby into his father's room, which he had not entered for months. There was, in fact, no need for him to enter it, since he saw his father daily at business, and they took their midday meal together at an eating house. In the evening, it was true, each did as he pleased, yet even then, unless George, as mostly happened, went out with friends or more recently visited his fiancée, they always sat for a while, each with his newspaper in their common sitting room. Hmm. Interesting. Very subtle insight into a father-son relationship. It is subtle. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Do you mind talking a little bit about your dad? I would love to talk about my dad. Yeah. My dad is a legend. Mm. My dad is called George. Wait a he, second. Was was George as a character in that just there? Oh my gosh. Hey. Shut the front door. Seriously. Wasn't that just... It actually was. Yes. Wow. And Jonathan was the character in the Barbara that, Taylor this, Bradford This is novel. actually incredible. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> so George is one of seven children... He is English, an English man, as English as they come. Um, he's a professor of biochemistry. Oh, wow. My dad has the brain a size of a small planet. It's, mm. like, remarkable how much he knows about everything. Like, he's literally, like, you just pick a topic and he'll be like, oh, yes, I'm so-and-so and blah, 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 and 1972 and this happened. Like, he just, he's incredible. Um, he's the most talkative person. Me and my mum and sister always joke that he's... Like he can talk to a lamppost. Uh, like if we kind of leave him to go off and do chores, like he'll eventually come back because he'll have talked to everyone in the store and like uh, the checkout lady. And, you know, he's just he's just a people person yeah. and a, a high extrovert and, yeah, a verbal processor. Um, but he's also the best man I know. He's so kind, so faithful. Um, he's always, always helping people. Like giving people lifts, you know, fixing people's mm. broken things, helping the home. Like he's just he's just an amazing, righteous man. So mm. I I am so lucky to have had a role model like my dad. Mm. Like I know not a lot of people have that kind of father figure. Mm -hmm. And I will always be grateful that I've had a dad who just yeah, models goodness. Wow. He sounds extraordinary. And he's a professor of biochemistry bio wow. at University College London. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Both my parents are medical and academic. Hmm. And then me and my sister are both like high creatives. I was about to say, how does that happen? Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm, both My parents are both creative in their own ways. Like my okay. mum is an incredible gardener. Like her garden is like paradise. And my dad is also a poet. Like he just, he can trot out a poem pretty easily. So hmm. they, they're both creative, but... I'd say growing up, we weren't necessarily like creativity was definitely not a career path. Mm -hmm. We we did loads of creative things. So I learned instruments and um, well, music was like 
my life basically alongside mm. academic studies so we did loads of creative things but going into a creative path was never on the cards I, see. I was going to be like you know a doctor or a lawyer or you know work in the city or do the corporate life which I did for years um so I find it quite interesting now reaching a point in in, in life where I'm now doing full-time music mm -hmm. and creativity because it just was not on the cards growing mm -hmm. up and in terms of the education that we had mm -hmm. but yeah here we are and your last um that was your last single right kind of came from that premise really of taking that leap mm -hmm. of jumping out of corporate life to pursue art yeah. and music full-time yeah yeah was that scary yeah it's um i mean i think a leap of faith is always it is always scary because it's a leap into the unknown and I think we're just programmed to want to know and to understand and kind of be in control of our destiny so I think it is always scary just like throwing caution to the wind and yeah. saying let's see let's see but actually I have to say this decision felt so liberating and actually that single intermission is very much from the point of like mid-jump so the, mm. there's a photo that really inspired me of um, I think it's called like man jumping over a puddle and it's mm. from the 50s it's a British photographer photo taken in Hyde Park of a man in a business suit jumping over a big puddle and mm. he's mid-jump like you don't know if he makes it to the other side mm. without getting his feet wet or whether he clears the puddle and he lands on the other side wow. and and I just kind of love that idea that of well I wrote the song from that place of mid-jump that you know I have certain expectations of how I want this to go but actually I don't know how I'm going to land on the other side yeah and I'm still willing to take the risk because mm -hmm. it's like even if it doesn't go according to my expectations I want to actually believe that God's still going to be in it mm -hmm. you know even if I fall on my face in inverted mm -hmm. commas or whatever or you know this doesn't go well or I'm not a huge success or what you know whatever I'm ex expecting in my head like I'm still willing to take the risk because I, I believe it's worth risking for. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a very liberating place to get to mm. where you're not racked with fear. You're actually yes. like, no, whatever happens, I'm still going to do this. Mm. So it's actually been really incredible. I love of like, that. Like jettisoning the things that would keep you on one side of the puddle, yeah. you know, and stop you from actually taking the jump. Yeah. Um, yeah. Life is short and mm -hmm. you've got you've got to risk. Absolutely. You can't live a life without risk. And you have you have a new album coming out? I do. So I've just finished recording an album with uh, my band in London. And yeah, it's I've had this has actually been a bit of a life-changing process this album. Um it's felt like really getting to take the brakes off and just go and mm -hmm. just make the music that I believe in and make the music that I am passionate about and I would fight for. Um, and to get to do it, like I have an insanely talented band. They're all just incredible players, incredible hearts. They're like brothers to me. They're, they've been incredibly faithful to me on my journey. Mm. Um, so to get to work on a project with a, you know, a close knit group like that is just, is such an incredible experience. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's 13 songs. So it's a proper album and it's going to be out in the new year. Um, and I'm excited. It's sort of like a mixture of, there's definitely some congregational songs on there. There's definitely songs that were written with church in mind and sort of to give um, 
yeah, give people songs to sing together. But there's also some more personal um, reflective songs um, that were written out of a very, like very real places in me, like places of pain, places of disappointment um, that I really wanted to be on the album. I wanted there to be a place for that, to have a kind of, yeah, just to have a diversity on the album, um, to show a bit more of a 360 look of what it looks like to walk a life of faith yeah. rather than just the kind of praise songs. Yes. Which I love. I'm passionate sure. about those, but I think praise and lament need to coexist. Yes. So, yeah, I'm excited about this mm-hmm. album. That's so wonderful because I feel like you know, I mean, even like when we read the Psalms, it's it's interesting how that's always that always coexists. I mean, you yeah. literally go from one verse to the next. Yeah, yeah. Goes from just the absolute pit of despair. Mm-hmm. God, why have you abandoned me? To like yeah. this this sort of primal shout of praise and just all that you know and that's, that's that's what real life is yeah. but so often worship is not integrated in that way to yeah. where you're able to kind of take pain and trauma and the surprise of joy and the yeah. small unexpected gifts and like and, and put it all like i just so i love that you're you know that you're that you're bringing those things together in yeah. a way that like still invites there's still songs that people can sing together but there's also space for people to connect yeah. their stories in this broader story. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Jonathan, you said it yesterday. We had a songwriting day yesterday, um, and Jonathan sort of introduced the whole day, and he was saying about take take the personal and make it universal. Like, mm. the more personal the story is, actually, the more universal it becomes, and I think that is so true. Like, So I think writing worship songs that feel human, that don't just feel yeah. heady and academic and... You know, obviously it has to be solid biblically. I really believe in that. Like, I, if I'm not in the Bible, like, I don't know where I'm getting, you know, like it just has to be rooted in that foundation. But I think worship songs that carry that heart of like, it's actually written by a human being mm. who's really actually journeyed that. Mm-hmm. I think those are the songs that are super powerful and have the power to change mm. a lot of people. Yes. So yes. That's definitely what I'm fighting for. Like, if I don't need the song that I write, then I kind of think, mm, why did I write it? Yeah. You know, I'm I'm kind of getting a lot more um, selective about the songs I put out now, mm-hmm. and I always have a checklist of: Do I need it? Do I believe in it? And would I fight for it? Uh, that's it. I love this checklist. Do I need it? Yeah. Do I believe in it? Would I fight for it? Yeah. Those are great questions. Because, you know, as a songwriter, the same with any job, you know, like an accountant can just sit down and build a spreadsheet. Sure. Or a doctor can just write out a prescription. They know which one to do in the same way that as a songwriter, you can you can just sit down and write a song. You know, we we saw it yesterday with the songwriting camp, like a two hour writing session. We delivered songs like every every session produced a song. Um, But it doesn't mean that every song is meant to be shared and to go out and do that huge work. So. That's just really helped me, I think, mm. personally to to be like, to I think to actually maintain my integrity in mm-hmm. it, rather than being like, oh, like that's a banger, which yeah. is actually my least favorite term. Like when that's people right. when they enter a songwriting <laughs> session, they're like, right, guys, let's write a banger, and I'm like, or let's just be real. Yeah, like yeah. let's just mm-hmm. let this session be what it will be. Yes. You know, like if it's a banger, let's just leave that to yeah. people to decide. You sure. know, but I just I'm accountable to my own heart yes. and my own um sense of integrity so that yes. that checklist has just helped me to to do that i think yeah uh, g- so give me your three one more time 
Do I need it? Do I need it? Do I believe in it? Do I believe in it? And would I fight for it? I fight for it. That's so great. Thank you. Because I feel like, you know, I'm sort of, um, I'm such a pure creative in terms of, you know, being a writer. And I feel like, um, I, I don't know, I'm weirdly kind of a content generating machine sometimes. It's like, I don't, I don't think I'm exactly old, but I've hit this place in my life to where for the first time I'm so aware of really thinking a lot more about limited resources. Yeah. And that, that do I need it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, and that I just, that's such a question, like wanting to kind of create the art that you're sort of looking for in the world, but that's yeah. not out there. Yeah. In a weird way, I mean, I'm, and I'm not I mean this to be self-referential, but even this podcast largely came out of that. It's like, I couldn't think of anything that was kind of more daily, that was theologically reflective. Yeah. That kind of, you know, yeah. where there was an opportunity to really, whatever's happening in kind of the world, culture, whatever. But it's stuff that I'm writing right now. I'm just trying, like, I'm just, I don't know. I've just become so much, I'm just so much more aware of how finite I am, how yeah. finite time is. Yeah. And just like, I just think those are such wonderful filter questions. Yeah. And is this something I would fight for? Is something yeah. I would contend for? Like if someone asked you, like, why did you write that song and why does it mean so much yes. to you? Like, I want to be able to give an honest answer yeah. rather than just like, oh, because there's a scripture that says this. And, mm-hmm. you know, like there's there's one thing about knowing the scriptures and there's yeah. another thing about knowing the scriptures, like having mm. that personal revelation of what that scripture actually means and how it applies to life, yeah. you know, like I, I know a lot of scriptures, but there are certain scriptures that have actually transformed me. Sure. And I think those ones, are, those are the ones that I love writing songs about because I'm mm-hmm. actually, I'm fully connected, like emotionally, mm. physically, like my whole soul, my whole being is like, I get it. Yeah. And then there's other scriptures that I haven't yet had that level of revelation about. Sure. So I just think it's exciting to write songs from places of like real, real connectedness and yes. like, yeah, like it being like an integrated thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, Lucy, thank you so much for the time. I'm having such a good time hanging out. I'm glad we get to do this yes. now in Holland. That's going to yeah. be amazing. Um, for people who want to follow you and connect with your music, what's the best way for them to do that from here? So I'm a big Instagram person. That's probably like my my only social media platform okay. I'm actually like on. Um, so I'm at Lucy Grimble. Grimble, like grumble, but with an I. And I also have a website, lucygrimble.com. Um, and then I'm on Spotify and iTunes and Tidal and all those platforms. So, yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being with us. This has been Enjoy. so much fun. I've Best possible time. <laughs> and uh, with this, I know we I, like, and this, this will continue can, into an infinity, maybe. We'll just still be <laughs> pulling books off the shelves. And, you know, it's like, it's so much fun. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> um, so thanks everybody for joining us I will uh, just mention uh, for those of you who are new to the Zeitcast uh, thank you so much for tuning in and would so appreciate especially we're just a couple weeks in here uh, of course subscribing, liking reviewing helps us tremendously so definitely appreciate that uh, if you can uh, want to help us make this happen uh, JonathanMartinWords.com is my website and there's a link to uh, Patreon on there and especially appreciate you guys who are helping uh, to partner with us in that way. But thank you so much for joining us and we'll be back with you tomorrow, guys. Take care.